0: Something that we began the first week of January that is a little different is that we're not dismissing the children right away, but instead we're going to take this opportunity to engage in instruction. And the instruction is based upon something that I believe some of you perhaps have gone through, but a catechism, not typically part of a Baptist-type service, but something very, very good. Spurgeon's baptism, who, by the way, was a Baptist, uh, introduced this methodology, or he didn't really introduce a methodology. It was long before that, but he used this method of asking questions and then giving answers to prepare children. And we're we're really going to be like Disney World, children. Yay! <laughs> I should be more careful what I say, <laughs> uh, honey. You're in for a ride. <laughs> Uh, what we're going to do is um, see to it that children of all ages benefit by this. And so, before we dismiss the children, I want to ask, do you remember what our um, what our first question was last week? How many of you remember that? Okay, do you remember? Uh, two of you? Okay. Uh, what I am hoping will transpire is that we will be able to learn these as best we can. I realize we're going to go through these much more quickly than uh, than we really should, but at least we'll have this as a foundation. Last week, we raised this question. What is the chief end of man? And you remember, there were two parts to that. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Pardon me? Oh, well, see, here. here's what, what we're going to get straight... You, Okay, you all know about this and the problems I have every week with this? Okay, I'm still having problems. Um, I am now logging in. Okay, now we got it. (laughs) I don't have any clue what's going on behind me, so that's all right. This is a little bit out of order than the way we had actually originally planned it. But in the future, I'm going to do the fir- the, the one from last week first and then the second one. What is uh, What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify him is really our second question. The first question, and you don't have to bother putting this up. The first question was, what is the, the chief end of man? What is our, our purpose for being here? And it is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And we bring honor and glory to his name... Primarily by being directed by one resource. And that is the answer to the second question. What rule has God given, back up, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify Him? And the answer to that is very simple. The answer is the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify God and enjoy him. This is so vitally important for this simple reason. People today struggle with how they might please God. And I think part of that is a reflection of the society in which we live, which basically has led us to believe that you can kind of do whatever you want to make God happy as, l- as long as you know you 're doing it with a clean heart and you really mean well and you can honor and glorify him that way, and then you kind of come up with your own plans. Some people come up with their own God they 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 try to develop a God that they make from their own pea brains, and they they make this God that they they uh, really essentially make him their servant instead of our being his servant. And as a result, that makes its way into the Christian community where people will, instead of saying, you know, we have one resource that tells us how our God is pleased. It is his word. Now, I don't like the word contained in that particular uh, presentation that Spurgeon made for this simple reason. We know that this book does not contain the word of God. This book is the Word of God. Subtle difference and yet very, very important, but I know how Spurgeon meant it in his catechism. This book tells us the way to live. Your best thoughts, your best desires, the things that you think will please God, do not override the Word of God. When God's word says something, that's it. And young people of all ages, we cannot make up our own methodology of pleasing God. Do you want to please God? Do you want to live for his honor and glory? Even when it goes against your emotion, when it goes against the things that you believe are the best things to do, you're wrong. His word is right. I don't know how to say it any more plainly than that because I watch Christians do this sort of thing all the time. Oh, I'm going to please God by doing this. I'm going to do this because I think this is the best way to handle something when God has specifically said, that's not what you do. Folks, you know how you can please God and enjoy Him forever? Do what His word has to say. That's the bottom line, young people. We will see you all later, as the young people are making their way out. I'm going to ask you to return in your Bibles, if you will, please, to the Book of Romans. We began this journey through this incredible book last week, and uh, if you if you take out your bulletin, you'll notice we are we are just flying through this book we We covered last week. 1A in the outline. Now, see, I believe the rapture could happen at any time, and I believe that all believers will be taken to be with the Lord, to meet him into the air prior to the tribulation period, and that following the tribulation period will be the millennial reign of Christ, where he sets up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. I'm hoping the Lord will allow me to finish this series during the millennium. (laughs) because I'm, I'm not sure how long it's going to take us to get through Romans right now, and you know I'm kidding. But anyway, we're back in the book of Romans, the first chapter. We've already read through the first 13 verses today, and let me just give you a little bit of the background that we established last, year, the book, or last week. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul probably around the year 57 AD. He was um, living at the time, or I should say ministering at the time, in the city of Corinth, and he was writing to the Romans telling them that his desire was to pay them a visit and to be with them when he made a trip to Spain, but prior to his going to Spain, he had to take an offering that had been received from the churches in Macedonia, and hopefully there were offerings given in Greece as well. That's part of the reason he gives us the instruction there in 2 Corinthians. But then he was going to go to Jerusalem to deliver this relief for the saints. The people there were going through a terrible time, and so he's going to go there first, and then he's going to try to go to Spain, but stop in Rome on the way to Spain. He's going to get there, but he's going to get there as a prisoner. He doesn't know that yet, but it won't be long until he finds that out. The Romans were individuals who probably had been led to the Lord by people who had come to Christ on the day of Pentecost, or perhaps from early church members in Asia Minor who had made their way over to what is present-day Italy, and into the city of Rome, and they led people to Christ, and they helped them understand the salvation that is provided through the sacrifice of Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And they embraced that good news, the gospel, and they trusted in Christ as their Savior, and and now they have formed a church. And Paul, though he has not been with them, has already fallen in love with them. And so what we had determined last week, that this is really a love letter. It's a letter that's expressing the love that the apostle has, not only for the Lord himself, but also for the believers who were at Rome. And we are peeking into this love letter, and we're beginning to see the things that are an expression of true love. And in these first 13 verses, Paul is talking about the things that bind people's hearts together. When you love someone, these are going to be elements that become part of that love. And he is going to focus initially on his love for the Lord. And what we learned last week as we, we began this study was there in that first verse, he said that if you really love the Lord, what is going to bind your heart to the Lord is going to be that you will lift him up willingly. Willingly you will recognize, as Paul did, that we are set apart when we trust Christ as our Savior. You drop down to verse 6, and notice it says, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. We could look at Paul's life and say, well, he was called, yeah. Notice there in the first verse, he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. He had given himself completely to Christ as A servant who would serve Christ the rest of his life. Well, we fall into that same category as the desire that the Lord would have for us when we get down to verse six, because we also have been called, not as apostles, but now as ministers, those who will minister to one another. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on, because he's going to expand on that as we go through this first uh, chapter, the first 13 verses of the first chapter. He talks about being an apostle, we are designated as servants, as ministers, and then you notice in the last part of the first verse, he talks about being separated to the gospel of God, which really causes us to focus upon the priority of our lives, which is to spread the gospel of Christ and to show through our lives the desire to glorify God and, in the process of glorifying Him, to enjoy Him forever. And sometimes people get this idea that serving God is somewhat of a drudgery. If you think serving God is a drudgery, you're doing something wrong. Because the best life there is to live is to live for Christ. There's nothing more satisfying, there's nothing more fulfilling, there's nothing more rewarding than living our lives for Christ. Which leads us to the second thing that the Apostle Paul addresses in this binding of hearts that come together, is that we not only serve the Lord willingly, but we serve him thoroughly. By that, I mean in every area of our lives. Last week, we touched on this this idea... Uh, is, is this working? No. Oh, yeah, I'm too far. Uh, they're they're ahead of me up there. <laughs> I love technology. I really do. We're going to beat this thing. Have you noticed I'm not quitting? I'm not giving up. We're going to beat this. Okay. Th- uh, thoroughly. We talked last week about the idea that Our occupation is not what we do to earn a living. What we do to earn a living should be the base under which we support our occupation. What should the occupation of every follower of Christ be? It should be to lift up Christ and we have jobs that support us in the process of doing that, and we do that in order to see to it that we care for the family's needs, that we pay our bills, that we maintain a good testimony. But here's the bottom line. Can you change jobs? Well, of course you can. You, you can have a profession. You can even be well-trained in a particular area and move. My undergraduate degree is in business and God chose to move me. And that's okay, because that's only the way you earn a living, to carry out that which never changes, which is the priority, which is serving Christ and living for Him. Does that make sense? This isn't what we think about today. This isn't the way our minds work. Does that make sense? that we never change that. That is what we are now committed to eternally, to live for the glory of Christ and the jobs we have. We can live for his glory through our jobs, but that should never be the priority. That should never be the bottom line. The bottom line has to be that we give the priority of our lives to serving Christ and to serving Him thoroughly so that everything other than serving and living for Christ becomes secondary. Is that going to change our lives? Probably for those of us who have known the Lord for many years, it's still going to change our lives if we lay hold of that. In treating Him... As our occupation, we also treat him as the focus of our devotion. Look, if you will, please, down to verse 9 and what the Apostle Paul says here. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. The first part of that verse is what I want you to lay hold of. I serve him with my spirit, People already could see that Paul was serving the Lord with his body. He was willing to get beaten for the cause of Christ. He was willing to go to jail for the cause of Christ. He was willing to suffer need for the cause of Christ. He was willing to be shipwrecked. And you can go through all of the issues of his life for the cause of Christ. And you could look at that and say, well, he's made the decision. He's gritting his teeth. He's going to be a good Marine. And he's going to do whatever has to be done in order to get the job done. But that isn't what he says. He says, I am serving the Lord with my spirit. In other words, who and what I am inside is absolutely consistent with that which I am doing in my body. Let me try to illustrate it this way. A number of years ago, I taught at a Christian school. Uh, this, this is where Debbie and I met. She taught there for five years. I taught there for four. I, we met the year after uh, she got there, uh, my first year there. So I just lay that as a background so you know that this really was a neat place for me to be. So, you know. So, when I got there, I found out some things that were being required of me as a Christian school teacher. I was not only to teach my classes but I was required to be in Sunday school. I was required to be at church. I was required to come to the Sunday evening service. I was required to come to prayer meeting. And I was required to go out on visitation on Thursday nights. And in addition to that, I was expected to carry out a ministry because teaching is what you do to earn your living. That is not your ministry. It can be a ministry, but that is not serving in the church, in the body of Christ. So they wanted to make that very clear, and they were absolutely right. What do you think of that? Was that a lot of... (laughs) Whoa! Was that a lot of requirements? Yeah, and you know what? Some of the the faculty resented it. They felt like, man, alive. Look at all they expect me to do. And there were some that were like that. They, They looked at their job as, I guess, the way you would look at an unsaved teacher in a public school who genuinely loves the kids and really wants to do right by them, and wants to teach them well. That, by the way, folks, is not a captive concept for Christian teachers. Unsaved teachers feel the same way. Not all of them, but a lot do. They love their kids. They want to do the best. So what then makes the difference between a Christian teacher and a Pagan teacher, an unsafe teacher. Well, it's certainly not love for the kids, and it's certainly not effectiveness in the classroom. It's got to go to something else. Do you know what the other thing was? There were a lot of us as teachers who looked at those requirements as something that was unnecessary for them to put upon our shoulders, because those are things we'd have done anyway. Do you get it? We were serving with our spirit as well as with our body. Yes, there were sacrifices that had to be made. I want to tell you what, a lot of teachers are not willing to make sacrifices. Oh, I do enough for the kids. Are you serving with your spirit as well as with your body? If so, we didn't have to have those requirements. I'd have been at Sunday school morning, evening, Wednesday night and visitation. That was all part of it and serving in other capacities as well as ministers. Now, I use my experience as a teacher, and you bring that into the realm of what you do. And for some, may may I put it this way? Some of you are too busy to be in a small group on Sunday nights because, man, it's really much nicer just to relax and to enjoy the day. And don't you realize the playoffs are on right now? Let me tell you, Green Bay's going to win it all anyway. Okay. <laughs> now I've lost my wife. She's a Dallas fan. Pray for her. Oh, now I'm starting arguments around the auditorium. All right, let's come back to. to let Let me just say this. Is serving Christ something that is only part time for you? Do you Do you just want to get to know Him minimally? I go to morning service, that's enough, that's, that's enough. I had a guy in my former church who uh, started out in his early Christian life. Um, and I, I said to him, I said, Brad, how about coming to the Sunday evening service? And he says, man, he says, I come Sunday morning. He says, that's a lot of church. He is now serving as a leader in the church who is also on the board of a Christian camp because he came to understand that serving Christ was a total commitment And he gave himself to the Savior totally. And he could say what Paul said I'm not only serving him with my body, I'm serving him with my spirit. And so I don't look at these requirements as being harsh or unreasonable. No, I sacrificed some of the other things. There were entertainment things I, I couldn't go to. I didn't have time. There were parties I couldn't go to because I didn't have time. Do you think I miss those parties now? They're meaningless. Now, is it still fun? I, I really believe, boy, here, here's where it gets rough because it's easy to take what I'm saying and, and not balance it. I, I think being, do you know who should have the most fun at parties? Christians. I, I like to go home with a Christian hangover after a party that I have laughed so hard, my head's ready to split, and I am totally sober, and I remember everything that happened. Okay? The best fun among believers. And and I've been to parties like that. I, so, do you understand? I'm trying to keep a balance here, but you know what you have to do? You have present one side a little more strongly because that's the side where we have the most trouble understanding. And that's the side that says, I serve Christ not only with my body for what I'm paid to do, but I serve him with my spirit because I love him and I want to lift him up in everything that I do. He also mentions, if you drop down to verse 13, that not only did he look at this serving Christ thoroughly as his occupation and as his devotion, but also as his passion. Look at what he says in verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So what Paul is saying, his passion is, I want to go in and I want to have fruit among you. I want to see things spiritually happen on your benefit as a result of God working through me. What an incredible church we would have if everybody in the pew, everybody, looked at everybody else and said this, my passion is to impact your life for the glory of Christ and for your benefit. By the way, that's the definition of love. That's the definition of love. And you can do that even for people that are very, very unlovable. Thankfully, we only have two or three of those. Do you want to put their names up? Uh, No. So you understand what we're saying here, his passion. And then, if you go further into Paul's thought here, what he talks about is, I not only want to serve the Lord with, by lifting him up thoroughly, but I also want to serve him accurately. I want to present Christ for who he is in truth. We don't make up a Christ We observe a Christ through his word and with the understanding that he is the perfect God-man. So Paul emphasizes the deity of Christ and he emphasizes the humanity of Christ. Look with me if you will, back to the earlier verses, let's just go, kind of go back to these again. Look at verse 2, which uh, Paul is speaking in, and he's talking about being separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Well now, the deity of Christ is going to be manifest through the prophetic writings. He is going to be born of a virgin. The the, uh, the, the, the responsibilities that will fall upon his shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, or better, the Father of Eternity. Prince of Peace. Thank you. So he is going to be someone who far transcends any human capabilities. He's going to tell us further. If you drop down, down to verse 4, and declare to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. Now again, one of those subtle differences. He's not, he's not born as a child of the Father, which is how we generally understand Son. He is declared to be the Son of God. It is an identification of him in his equality with the Father. And so being declared as the Son of God is a a reference to the deity of Christ. And then that is going to be further enumerated as you go to the end of that verse where it says, declared to be the Son of God with power and according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What's the strongest thing you know? I think if we think it through, we'd probably say death because it's so final and there doesn't seem to be anything that reverses it except God can reverse it. He can turn it around and he can return life to the dead. And so... Christ's deity is reflected through these statements that Paul makes, and by the way, it's going to be clarified much more thoroughly as we go through the remainder of the book of Romans, but he also wants us to understand, he is also going to be fully a man. He's going to understand our sorrows, he's going to understand our pain, he's going to understand our desires, he's going to understand everything we experience, except he's going to understand it better than we do, because we give in to temptations, so we don't feel the full force of them. He never gave in to temptation, so he felt the full force of every temptation that he experienced without ever cutting it short. Does that make sense? So he comes on to say this. Go back to verse uh, 3. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So... What he's telling us is this, the God-man, he is going to be a descendant of David, he's going to be born of Mary, he's going to experience all the things that we experience, yet through his deity, he will conquer the power of sin and the strength of death, because he lives, we too shall live, if we are Equal in righteousness to him. Hmm. Do you remember what we said? The theme of the book of Romans is not the righteousness of God, righteousness from God because the righteousness of God himself is imputed to each one who embraces Christ as Savior, and the penalty of our sin carried by him in his sacrificial death, our union with him brings us through a divine act of justification the righteousness of Christ so that now our righteousness is the righteousness of God himself and that's why, because he lives, we too shall live. I'm identified with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So now we've got the story. We've got the program. And Paul says, he's the one. My heart is so bound to him that in all of my life, it's my desire to lift him up. But that's only the beginning of the love story, because that love then goes to others. Notice what he also says. If you drop down to verses 8 through 10, he says this. Part of my responsibility is to pray for you. We pray for each other if our hearts are bound together in love. Notice verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by some means now at last i may find a way in the will of god to come to you so what he is saying is this i am bringing you before god regularly and the first thing he does is give thanks and praise why because of what we read there in verse 4 or pardon me verse 8 he says through jesus christ to whom all uh, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So he's giving gratitude to the Lord for the faith of the believers in Rome, and what he's saying is this. Your faith has spread all around the known world. There are people in every corner of the Roman Empire and beyond who know that there are people in Rome who believe in Jesus Christ and are living their lives for the praise of his glory. He says, man, that is wonderful. Do you think people in our community know that Grace Baptist Church stands for the truth and that we love Christ and we are living for him? Don't answer. Just think about it. If they're going to know that, how are they going to find out? Through the internet. Through advertising. Through letters. No. Through you. Through you. You know, there's something really different about that person. What is it? What makes you so different? Well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why I don't tell the jokes you tell. It's why I don't go out and get drunk at night. It's why I, I love my mate, and it's why I provide for my family. It's why I pay my bills. It's this, and it's this, and it's this, and it's why I love you, and, and why I care for you, and why I do things for you. That, that's why. Really? Where'd you get that? Oh, I, I learned about that at Grace Baptist Church. Oh, I better stay away from there. (laughs) Or maybe I ought to go and find out what this is all about. So, Paul says, your faith is spoken of and here's what's important. You are at a critical location. You are in the capital of the Roman Empire. You are in Rome. Do you notice how the world comes to us down here in Florida? even if it's for a short time, okay? I met some folks from Missouri this morning, right? Not Missouri, Missouri. We'll call it Missouri after they leave, okay? And I met a gentleman from Indonesia, and people from all over come, because we're down here where it's warm, and they're tired of freezing And so we have a chance to reach into the lives of people who literally can go back not only around the country, but literally around the world. We better show them the love of Christ. They better see a difference here. Paul says, man alive, I want you to know that the first thing I pray about is I give thanks for you because of your faith being spoken of throughout the world. And then he goes on and says this, I also pray for your fitness. Now, he does not say specifically here what he prays for. So I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians where Paul is doing the same thing that he's doing for the Romans. Keep your finger in Romans 1. Turn back to Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to notice the prayer that Paul offers on behalf of those whom he prays for. I, I kind of think he had a prayer list where he kept a record and he would pray regularly. I use our our uh, our directory and I, I pray for you as I go through the directory. And, and I mention each of you who are in the directory by name, and when you're, if your name's not there and I think about you, I'll pray for you there as well. And Paul does the same thing. But look at what he prays. He prays a lot differently than we usually do. Verse 9. For this reason, since we also, since the day we heard it, Do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Is that how you pray? Oh, Lord, I pray that you would bless so and so and so and so and so and so. Bless them and, and and give them a good day today. Help them to really get through. And, and, Lord, I pray that you would keep them safe. And I pray that whatever difficulties they're facing, I, I pray that... Do you see how different Paul's prayers are? I pray that you would have knowledge of God. What is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God. Oh, we have the idea it's living in heaven forever. That's one of the benefits. But eternal life is knowing Him and the son whom he sent. So what he's saying is this, I want you to enjoy every aspect, every dimension of the eternal life that God has given you. I want you to have it all. Um, I want you to be fruitful in every good work. I want you to know the will of God so that when it's time to make tough decisions, where to go to school, who to date, marry. What to go on my social media? I will do the will of God. I'm a kid. I'm supposed to do things wrong now. No. You're going to regret some of the bad things you've done. So stop it. And I, I don't know that I'm talking to any of you, but this is kind of a general blanket I'm throwing over. Stop doing wrong stuff. Start doing right stuff. Simple life. And you won't have regrets. True? True? Come on. Let, let's help these kids. They're starting out. We've learned a hard way. So, Paul says, I am praying for you for your fitness. I am thankful for your faith. I am praying for your fitness. And then he concludes that by saying, and I'm praying for our fellowship. This is where the love starts to come out. Look down here, uh, go back to the book of Romans once again, and notice what he says down here uh, in verse 10, making request, If by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Why does he want to come to them? He wants the fellowship. The fellowship of interaction with other believers so that we can unburden our hearts and so that we can help carry the burdens of others. And he realizes that the fellowship is what brings people together in closeness. And he understands that without that fellowship, there is a hole that remains in our spirit that just seems to lead us in ways that that we wander and, and what, why is it that I don't feel fulfilled in life? And part of it's because you come to church late, you leave the second the service is over, you don't come to anything else, you don't meet anybody and you say that church is not friendly. What's up with that? You want to get to know people? Come to Sunday school. Get into a small group. And you're going to start to get to know people. And then you're going to find out this church is filled with love. And it really is. Now, that's just kind of an insider telling you this story. But that's the way it is. Let, let me throw this out we like it when people pray for us don't we i mean there are things uh, there are some pretty heavy loads that some people carry and and we want people to be praying for us how come most of you never show up to pray for other people we might have 20 people come to prayer meeting. Now, let me, let me just say this. We try to put everything on Wednesday night because we have so many school activities and we don't want a conflict. So we have our youth group on Wednesday night. We have Awana on Wednesday night. We have GriefShare on Wednesday night. We have our sign class on Wednesday night. Um, we have uh, praise team practice on Wednesday night and we have prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and so some of you who are involved in other areas of ministry, I understand you can't be there, but listen, we we want to pray for your requests, and we will, whether you show up or not, but how fair is that? I want to be able to come to church, and and I want to have people praying for me, and, and I really want them to understand this is really a heavy load on my heart. Do you think you're the only one? You know, if you love each other, you're going to be willing to say this. I want to be there so I can pray for your needs as well. Have you ever noticed how some people are just takers? Take, 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 take. They're like little weeds that grow up in the garden. They really don't do a whole lot of good. But boy, they suck a lot of stuff out of there. Take those nutrients. Take that energy. Take that concern. Now, there are times when it's right to take. You're a new believer. You take. You're going through a real time of trial. You take. There's testing that's going on. You take. There's weakness that needs to be strengthened. You take. But when you're strong and when you have opportunity, understand this other people go through those things too, and they need you to pray for them. Is that not fair? Uh, some of you are going to go home today and you're going to say, oh, man, pastor really unloaded on us today. No, this is not unloading. This is telling you this is love. This is love. I love you, so I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to be at the heart of what's going on. Now, some of you I know are, are actually, I, I want to say this gently, too old to make a lot of trips in here. Warren, is that okay? To, to use that no, 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 no I'm, I'm not picking on Warren Warren is the most faithful person but because of age and limitations how old are you Warren? 95 right up until just a short time ago Warren was here for everything but there comes a time I hope you don't think that I am speaking to you or other whiteheads You know, if we really love each other, we will pray for each other. And by the way, I also know this. You don't have to be here to pray. But you should at least pick up the prayer sheet so you know what to pray for. Okay. It might be 12 o'clock, but we're not done. I have to give you the final thing, and that is when... Paul is addressing these people and expressing love to them. Here's what he says. And you're going to feel like this didn't happen today, but I hope it's just the opposite. When you really love somebody and your hearts are bound together, you encourage each other. It's a strengthening responsibility that the Lord gives us. Paul says, I want to come to you to impart some spiritual gift to you. Now, maybe he meant something more than what we have the capability to do. As an apostle, he may have had the capability to extend a spiritual gift that they could have received. We don't have that capability, but we sure can encourage each other. Maybe just the gift of loving you and you knowing that somebody cares for you that if you run into a problem, you can pick up the phone and say, I need help. And the person on the other end of the line says, I'll be right there. See, that that's what love does. I, I want to tell you something. You all have encouraged me. I've been here going on 10 years. And quite frankly, a lot of congregations wouldn't have me. They wouldn't have me as a pastor. Your standards are so low... <laughs> 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 this could be a matter of pity I, I'm not really sure but, but you have encouraged me and I hope somewhere along the line and, and listen, I know my personality is one I am just, here's what God says, let's go do it I know that there are others that have a much deeper sense of um, compassion, mercy and I, I really have to work on that but it's not because I don't love you and it's not because I haven't been encouraged by you. I hope I've encouraged you somewhere along the line. And if you feel badly today about anything that I've said, as long as it was a challenge from what God would tell us, I don't care. If it's because I've been offensive, I do care. But part of what we're supposed to do is encourage each other. Paul says, if you love the Lord... You will lift up Christ. You will pray for each other. And you will encourage each other. Is that the kind of church we're going to have? If you know Christ as your Savior, that's what you should want. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, here's the good news. You can trust him today. You turn and realize that he died to pay the penalty that your sin demands, which is an eternal separation from God in a place called hell until it's cast into the lake of fire. I know churches today don't want to talk about that, so I don't want to not talk about that because that's the reality. But here's, here's the good part the love of God is so great that he made a way for us to escape, to be saved to have our sins forgiven so we can turn away from them as we place our trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ for me. If you trust him, he'll give you a life. Let's stand. Father, what a privilege it is to be part of this congregation. I thank you for these dear people. And Father, I pray that the reality of the love that we have for Christ would be demonstrated to one another as well. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be challenged and that we would have a real desire to fulfill your purpose in our lives. And Lord, we, we have such a wonderful pattern that we see in this apostle who had feet of clay, who was a sinner, who needed a Savior as well. And he's given us the pattern. But our real objective is, is to demonstrate Christ. No other man but Christ. I pray that he would be the very center of our lives for the glory of his own name. Amen. God bless you.